Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Tiffany over in Rome, Katie in Seattle. Of course, you're only over in Rome because I'm over in Seattle. <laughs> um, but Tiffany living in Rome, Katie in Seattle. And today, Tiffany, you are bringing a New Yorker article to the table for us to debate. So I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yes. it. Right. Well, I just happened upon this article and I couldn't not click on it because it, it was just too tempting and intriguing. <laughs> and the article is called The Case Against Travel by Agnes Callard or Callard. And the subtitle <laughs> is pretty bleak. It says, it turns us into the worst version of ourselves while convincing us that we're at our best. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I immediately thought that we might have an interesting discussion about yes. <laughs> this uh, article. So um, fair enough. I, I clued you into it. I was also kind of thinking about this because a couple of weeks ago, I posted a travel quote by Anais Nin on our Instagram it says, we travel, some of us, forever to seek other states, other lives, other souls, with a question in my comment saying, you know, why do you travel? So usually we, we're always talking about the case for travel, why we should travel. And so that's really why this article popped out at me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, and, and I would say reading this article, as you kind of mentioned before we got started, there's a lot of interesting arguments in this article, but it's also a little bit, no offense to the writer, a little convoluted, I thought, in the reading. Like, there's a lot of different ideas in here. And so when you and I were thinking about, well, how do we talk about it? We almost had to divide the article up and say, well, here are a few interesting things that she raises that we want to talk about. So this is not going to be a comprehensive look at this article. You should definitely seek it out for yourself if this intrigues you the case against travel. But Tiffany, do you want to start like bringing one of her arguments to the table and we'll debate? Sure. Um, well, one of her first arguments, which I, you know, I, I kind of get where she's coming from. She writes, at home or abroad, one tends to avoid, quote unquote, touristy activities. Quote unquote, tourism is what we call traveling when other people are doing it. And although people like to talk about their travels, few of us like to listen to them. So I think what she's trying to say here, from what I gather, is when we're in our own hometown and we, we see tourists, we roll our eyes. You know, we've all done it. Oh, mm -hmm. Tourists. Oh, my gosh. They're in the way. They're so annoying. And then when we go abroad, we're not tourists. No, we're travelers. We're seeing the world. We're having experiences. And we don't see ourselves that we are just as touristy as, you know, any other tourist. And I think some people do fall into that trap. But uh -huh. I personally have no problem being a tourist. I like to travel. So that means I am necessarily going to be a tourist if I'm <laughs> if I'm traveling. I don't have any illusions about what it's like to be a, a tourist. I think that, you know, I mean, I, I, as a tour guide who have taken so many people around, I see the drop in, it feels like a drop in IQ. Like as, as people <laughs> are out of their home country, they become dumber and it happens to them. It happens to me. It happens to everyone. 
we all, I mean, and that's kind of the humbling thing about travel though, which I actually don't think she really talks about how, how travel, how travel humbles you. Mm. And that alone is something that is, is a learning experience. And if you never leave your own country and like you said, we really, you need to read this whole article because we're just going to be pulling out a few little sound bites here and there. But she starts the article talking, you know, giving these great quotes. I mean, great as an interesting quotes from, you know, famous writers about how horrible traveling is. And I think she misses the the point a lot of the time that, you know, it's not just about your life being changed. It's about learning. It's about learning who you are and learning about the world. Mm-hmm. And I think travel is a way to do that. It's not the only way. But it definitely is a way. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I love that she also adds to that, that people also don't want to hear about your travels. And she equates it in the article that it's almost mm-hmm. like hearing about somebody else's trip is almost like hearing about their dream, which is, yeah. which is so true because there is something about travel that is so, um, I mean, regardless of whether it's a major trip or just a family vacation, there is something about it that is so internal and so shared with the people that you are particularly with that when you try to describe it later on, it falls a little bit flat it's like trying to describe Mm -hmm. a bar that you really love in a country somebody's never been to it's like they can't picture the country you know they have no idea like what the bar's layout is it's hard for you to describe what you were feeling in that moment you can try but it's missing like a lot of these elements but I did think that was kind of funny that she pointed that out but it's interesting though don't you think how popular travel logs are and how popular travel writing is people Mm -hmm. love it that's some of the most popular type of nonfiction writing is people writing about their own travels and people just like lap that up, especially if they've not been to the country. Yes. So maybe it just has to be, maybe the stories just have to be told really well. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's the thing about writing is because writing gives you a chance to like sit down and really think like, how do I recreate the picture of this, which is different than you sitting at dinner with a friend trying to be like, why was this one experience hilarious? Thinking off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. I mean, to the larger point of being a tourist, I think what that's getting at is doing quote unquote touristy activities. What I thought she was sort of getting at with that is like the touristy activities of your own city. I mean, and this might be a little different in Rome, but like the touristy activities of, say, going to Seattle basically are things that I mostly wouldn't do, (laughs) you know, not because I think that they're stupid and terrible it's because I've already done them a thousand times and and so why would I go to the Space Needle or but that's not to say that I don't like walking by the Space Needle and looking at it it's almost like she's saying that the tourists are not even doing the things that the locals would even want to be doing you know they're doing stuff that exists on a list somewhere that's almost like a bunch of checked boxes that mm-hmm. they feel like they people need to visit these sites and it's almost like they're following some sort of best of list and they might actually be following a actual best of list but I mean that's kind of another point she gets into that I wanted to talk about is is sort of this idea that there is things that you must see when you go to a place and nowhere is that more obvious than Rome we've talked about on this very show that people come to Rome thinking that they must go see the Vatican. Like, if you go to Rome and you don't see the Vatican, then, you know, why did you even bother to go? But it's not like the Vatican is on a list of to accomplish life and to accomplish it. If you're going to check Rome off your list, this is something that you must achieve. 
And and we've said at this on this very show that if more people who had no interest in art didn't go to the Vatican, the Vatican wouldn't be as overrun as it actually is. And I think that's another yeah. <laughs> point she's making is that we are not only tourists going to be changed, we are changing the places that we're going. And I think part of it is exactly this concept that there's this list of must-sees that you must see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are many, many lists out there in the world in guidebooks and on on websites that tell you, no, actually, the Vatican is a must-see. Like, I'm sure there are a hundred articles, at least, that say what, you know, must, Rome must-sees, Vatican, Castel Sant'Angelo, the Colosseum, the Pantheon. So it is definitely on those lists. Whether it is truly a must-see or not, I think that's a more personal question. And I always tell clients of mine when they get in touch with me, like, you don't have to go there. If you think you're going to come back one day and it's high season and you're with your little kids, like, don't go. Come back another time. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's an actual must-see. But I, I, as a tourist, I want to see the must-see stuff. Guilty as charged. I mean, I don't have to see everything. But I want to know, like when I went to Vienna, I did my research. I was like, I want to see what this city is famous for. I may not be able to see it all, but I want to have a good sense of the city. And I want to feel like I took advantage of what there was to see while I was here. Now, she writes, and I didn't highlight this bit, so I don't think I can find it right off the top, like just by by scanning this article. It's very long. But she says, you know, if you don't go to museums in your hometown, why would you go to a museum when you're traveling mm -hmm. and that makes total sense to me but i do go to museums in my hometown i love going to museums and i go regularly so when i go travel i always go to the you know the museum if it's a city that has a decent one right so. right but i mean i also want to counter her here too and by the way i don't know if you can hear it but my cat for whatever reason sean is just screaming occasionally in the background that's what that sound is if you can actually okay. hear it uh, i have no idea what he's so upset about but I kind of wanted to counter that also, because I do feel like sometimes it is when we're traveling or when we're on vacation that we give ourselves permission to do something different and new and to try other things out, you know, to not just be in the routine. And yes, granted, if you hate going to museums when you're at home, yeah, why would you go to museums somewhere else? If that's some if that's a general experience that you despise every single time you try it then I totally agree. Like, why would you go to the biggest museum in Rome by going to the Vatican? Like, if you hate museums, mm -hmm. what more hell can you put yourself into than the Vatican? That said, I do think that it is worth trying new things. And part of that might be going to a world-class museum and seeing if you actually like that kind of thing. People who have listened to this show for ages mm -hmm. know that before I moved to Rome, it wasn't like I hated visual art. I liked it, but I was not like a connoisseur of visual art, and now I am. Over time, I developed a passion mm -hmm. for seeing the works of art that people could make with their hands, and I that did not exist prior to me going. It wasn't like I had a distaste for it extremely, but it wasn't like something I sought out on the regular. So... I mean, her argument is also that travel cannot change you. And that's, I think, something that we fundamentally disagree with. And, and that mm -hmm. is a case in point. But she also yeah. had this one part of the article I wanted to bring up, uh, because kind of getting back to that idea of the list you must follow. And uh, should I read? I guess I'll read part of it. Um, she says, an example is a decade ago mm -hmm. when I was in Abu Dhabi, I went on a guided tour of a Falcon hospital. 
I took a photo with a falcon on my arm. I have no interest in falconry or falcons and a generalized dislike of encounters with non-human animals. But the Falcon Hospital was one of the answers to the question, what does one do in Abu Dhabi? So I went. I suspect that everything about the Falcon Hospital, from its layout to its mission statement, is and will continue to be shaped by the visits of people like me. We unchanged changers. We tourists. And then she also says, on the wall of the foyer, I recall seeing a series of, quote, excellence in tourism awards. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a couple things she's getting into that we, the unchanged changers, is kind of the biggest overarching view of this article is that we say we go to travel to be changed, but we are not changed. We are changing what is happening in the places we travel to. That's one of the biggest overarching ideas. And I think we should talk about that, but I also want to talk about this falconry. Like, I don't care about falcons and falconry. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anybody goes yeah. to a falcon hospital. <laughs> well, some probably do, expecting to, like, all of a sudden be so taken with falcons that, you know, you decide to change your life's course <laughs> and adopt wounded eagles in your own home or something. But I think that probably does happen to some people. But I totally disagree with, like, there is a value to knowing what a falcon standing on your arm feels like, at least to me, you know, whether or not you're taken by the whole experience, like there is something in life about knowing how things are and feel. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah, felt like how, un sure. how incurious to, to be so turned off by the exactly. fact. Exactly. That was the same. That was the same word that I kept popping into my head, uh, unimaginative, uncurious. Mm -hmm. She says <laughs> at, towards the end of the article, because like you said, her her thesis here basically is that travel doesn't change you. Not to say that travel's bad. She's not saying, you know, don't travel. Travel's horrible. She's just saying it's not going to change you. She she literally writes, travel is a boomerang. It drops you right where you started. Which <laughs> <And>, is <laughs> great um, concept. I do love it. It's a great concept. But if you First of all, I think that the change of travel, a life of travel, if you are privileged enough to be able to travel often or at least regularly, is incremental. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, you go on one trip to Paris for a week and you're a different person. No. But if you start traveling and, you know, you were, like you said, a great example of this, although you did live in Rome for a year, so it's I mean, it's it's different yes. from just going on a trip. It's a much longer experience, and it was a much more um, in-depth experience. But it will incrementally change you. It will change. Like I said, I think it will give you humility to be in a place, especially if you're traveling the quote-unquote right way. Sorry, <laughs> but if you are never, you know, if you're always in an enclave and you're never inter interacting with locals ever, and you're never attempting to speak the language. It's not going to change you as much. But if you're putting yourself out there and you're, you know, maybe taking basic travel language class just to get to get an idea, even if you can't really carry off a, a conversation, but you, you you give it a try, or maybe you're eating at a really local traditional restaurant, uh, or maybe you're staying in a part of town that, you know, is not the really touristy area and has got more locals living there. You know, if you make an attempt and an intention to travel in that way and you do it regularly... I do think you're going to A, get a certain amount of humility about being that fish out of water and knowing how to, learning how to navigate a place that's not your home. I think that also teaches you 
skills, survival skills, and, you know, thinking on your feet and, and all sorts of stuff. Not to mention just the open-mindedness and compassion that traveling to certain parts of the world can give you. Yeah. I'll never, ever forget traveling to India because of the amount of poverty that I saw. Mm -hmm. That had that had a lasting impact on me. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Like you said, like if all we ever did was travel to Disneyland and stay at the Disneyland Resort, you're not being shoved outside your comfort zone as much as you might be just going to even another country. Like even if the country is not that far away from where you are, you know, like here in the United States, if you go to Canada or Mexico, you might not be as radically changed as if you go halfway around the world, but you will find that it is different than where you are from. And I think knowing that people live in different ways from where you're from is a part of what makes you not provincial. And I think that's one of the main values of being a tourist, uh, being a tourist, being a traveler. And uh, like you said, you know, I remember doing a trip to Southeast Asia and you do see a lot of poverty there and you see a different kind of poverty than you see if you're in the United States. Like we have plenty of poverty that you see here, but you don't see it in the same way. And I remember traveling there with a group of young women, a trip my sister organized, and one of the young women who had never, as far as I recall anyway, had never been anywhere um, outside of the state that she was born in. And and here we were now seeing people in levels of poverty that she hadn't even imagined was possible. And that trip was particularly hard. I mean, I think there were days and days when she just sobbed and cried, you know, because she just felt like, how could she not have known that this is how it was in certain places of the world? And whether or not she went into philanthropy or like had the falcon on her arm, so to speak, I don't think that that necessarily matters. You still are a changed person by knowing and it can alter your behavior. Like maybe you don't buy as much. Maybe you donate to different causes. Like, I I mean, it just is a... I mean, that's an extreme, I suppose, compared to if you're just going to safe places that don't put you out out of your comfort zone. But you know what I'm saying? That was exactly the thought that I had. And Mm -hmm. also, um, I don't even think it has to be that extreme. I mean, at the very beginning, she quotes Samuel Johnson, who said, what I gained by being in France was learning to be better satisfied with my own country. Mm -hmm. And I mean, (laughs) I mean... Besides the fact that that just reeks of American exceptionalism. Um, <laughs> but still, I, yes. First of all, that's that's a perfectly valid opinion, if that's your opinion. And who knows when, you know, when in history, I'm not sure, Samuel. when was Samuel Johnson living? 1800s, 1700s, can't remember. But that's valid if that's what you take away from it. But it's very, it's all also very, very common for people to travel and be like, wow, they do this thing really well here. Or wow, I really like this about this other country. Maybe there are more than one way to do things. You know, maybe, maybe it's not just this is the best way. And this is how it's always going to be and how it's always been because this is how they do it in my country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's also kind of a interesting thing about traveling to somewhere else and and not being able to get the stuff that you usually want to get. Do you know what I mean? Like, Sorry, mom, for bringing Mm -hmm. this up. I don't remember what country we were in when I was traveling with my mom, but I remember that she kept 
trying to order. Maybe this was in Rome, actually. I'm not sure. Uh, but I remember that she would, we'd go to a restaurant and, you know, she would order an iced tea. And iced tea was like not something that was <laughs> available wherever we were. And people would either look oh, puzzled or be like, oh, we don't have anything like that. And yet, you know, it would have been nice to have an iced tea, I think she thought. And it, and yet, you know, the whole time she was with us, we didn't find it. And even that, I think, is is interesting to just sort of say, these are the things that you usually have. And now you can't have that anymore. And so what else? <laughs> what other things? You know, what 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 fills the void? So yeah, and you discover and you discover something that you might never have tried. So she also talks about how often tourists like feel like they are expected to feel something mm. like they, they hear about a place or like you've got to go to you've got to see the Grand Canyon. You've got to see the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. You've got to see the Sistine Chapel ceiling and you get there and either because it's, you know, it could be for any reasons, it could be terribly crowded. It could be bad weather. Your feet could be totally blistered from walking around the city or it could just be that it doesn't move you. She talks about how people, you know, stand bef before this monument or this painting and they demand themselves to feel something and they don't they don't feel it. And it mm -hmm. can be a huge letdown. Yeah. Well, I mean, she says that the average person gets to the Mona Lisa and then stands in front of it for 15 seconds. That's the thing. Oh, I can top that, Katie. I can top that. <laughs> Do you know how many people have asked Claudio while they are standing in the Sistine Chapel where the Sistine Chapel is? <laughs> they don't even realize that they're there. And he says he has no pity for those people. <laughs> and if anyone asks him in the Sistine Chapel where it is, he shows them the exit and tells them it's through there. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cruel. But uh, I mean, I guess that, that gets back to that other point is like, you know, know why you're going to look for something, I suppose. Uh, I mean, what do I think about the, the expectation that you're going to feel and then that you may or may not actually be moved? Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable to be disappointed by something amazing? Like, is it reasonable because I don't really think it is to be to be disappointed <laughs> by one of the one of the greatest works of all humanity because you don't know how to appreciate it. Whoa, um, them spiting words. I I uh, I uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe the larger question is what makes you experience something and feel something, and it probably has more to do with how invested you are in it than whether or not you understand how to see it. I mean, obviously, the more art you see, you might get better at seeing more art. But like, you know, if you feel like on your bucket list, you want to see the Sistine Chapel, what do you do to like, lean into what will make that amazing? For instance, here's a very light example. Hire what a tour guide I, for when. Well, yeah, that. But here's a light example of what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put myself in the way of something I may or may not actually enjoy. Like, I'll say yes to things to just see, um, because you never really know when you're going to discover a new passion. We kind of talked a bit about that. So anyway, I got an offer of free tickets to go see the ballet Swan Lake. Oh my God. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I know. So I like ballet, but when it comes to dance. It's not like I wish I could see 16 ballets a year, you know, but there was an article in the newspaper explaining how hard it was to dance Swan Lake, like how it is the equivalent of a major athletic feat for the dancers in this 
uh, dance to get all the way to the end. And so much of an athletic feat, in fact, that they said something like they hire eight to nine couples to learn the dance all the way through. And only about five of them perform it during the run of the show. But they have so many people knowing how to do it because people can't do it night after night after night. It's just too exhausting. It's like running a marathon, maybe times a thousand. I don't know. So reading that article about like how hard this is and also what a triumph it is to get to that, that part of your career, if you are indeed a ballerina, that I think will make mm-hmm. it a more interesting performance to me whether or not I get anything else out of it. Just knowing the physicality that it takes will make it more interesting. And I think that that is sometimes the truth with the Sistine Chapel. If, you, if you're not really a big fan of Michelangelo's style, if you're like not that into painting at all, if you know nothing about it or you don't, the subject matter, I mean, you have to kind of have a reason why you want to see it, whether it's mathematical or artistic. I think if we have no reason but to like check it off a list somebody else wrote, I think that's where it gets to be mm-hmm. hard to find a passion for. Or maybe you're not as moved by it. Yeah, I I get that. I get that for sure, because there are things I'm not moved by. My mom keeps telling me like, you've got to go see Taylor Swift in concert. Like you've got to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first of all, I don't even, I think, feel like it's impossible to get tickets. And I don't even know if she's ever performed or will perform in Rome, but that's neither here nor there. But um, I have no doubt that Taylor Swift is phenomenal. You don't get to be that popular for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she's amazing, but like I, 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 I couldn't, my mom could not understand why I wouldn't want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I'm not saying I would turn down free tickets. I wouldn't just sit home. I'd go to see it because, you know, I'd be like, this is going to be interesting at the very least, even if I don't totally love it. And I feel kind of the same about sports. Like, I'm just kind of like, meh, I just, I can't get that excited. And so I realize that people have different tastes. And so mm-hmm. because I get so giddily excited about about going to see an opera or going to see a Caravaggio painting I do understand that not everybody is going to feel like that that's normal mm-hmm. but I think it's on the traveler to do their research and be like what about this city is going to get me excited personally I had a guy on a tour once who was absolutely fascinated about the Pantheon because he was he worked in construction and he was just absolutely fascinated by the concrete that the Romans invented and used you know, so figure out what gets you excited about the place you're going and then go see that thing. Yeah, I like that example. But I mean, I think that but the other point to your mother's point, you and I both have no interest in seeking out Taylor Swift because for whatever we've seen of her, not that we dislike her, but like whatever we've seen of her doesn't like move us in the way that it moves other people. That's not to say, though, that if you got free tickets and you went that you wouldn't see exactly what your mother is talking about you know that you might find that you will be moved Mm -hmm. I mean that's what's so hard about these arguments like you can be accidentally or you know somewhat deliberately moved by things and I think that that's why we also travel and stick ourselves in the way of stuff you know to be like maybe this is the thing maybe Mm -hmm. this is the thing not to toot toot my horn 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 or any other tour guide's horn but having uh, I guess I'm, (laughs) I'm not here to promote myself as a tour guide but but it is true that if you have someone who is passionate and knowledgeable about what you're seeing, 
it can come to life for you. Mm -hmm. And people, I have seen people who have no interest in art become, just really walk away fascinated. And I'm not to say that it's going to change, that particular thing is going to change their life. Um, but it might open them up, just like you were opened up mm -hmm. to art. And I mean, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, but what about the, the argument that uh, part of the larger overarching argument of this article is that and I don't even know if we want to get into this debate on this particular episode, but but why like like why do we have the expectation that travel needs to change us? Why can't it just be an interruption of day to day life? Why do we talk about it on social media and I don't know in dating profiles or whatever or with friends about it being life changing? Why can't it just be something that you do and you know, and the other thing that we already mentioned in the show is she says, you know, people travel saying that they want to be changed, but it's the place that they go that they're changing. And that and we've seen that definitely in the last however many years, particularly since COVID. I mean, we've talked about on the show how Rome has been changed by the massive influx of tourists following a bunch of lockdowns. And whether those changes will stay or go over time is is another matter. But I mean, do we even want to get into this idea of like, why do we want to say that travel is life changing? <laughs> I don't personally feel like every trip will be life changing or should be life changing. I think a travel can be life changing. It doesn't mean it always is. And B, for me, I feel like it's the accumulation of travel that slowly changes and matures and expands you. I think one trip can change you. If you go deep enough and if something important enough happens, I think one trip can change you. But I think it's much more likely that a lifetime of, of travel will make you a different person than you would have been maybe in subtle ways um, than if you hadn't done that traveling. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't think it's life-changing. Each trip has to be life-changing. I don't feel like that. I, I feel like some trips are just for relaxing and yes. some trips are just for having fun. Mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And I, I do think that, that it, the more you travel, especially to places that are very different from your own, the more kind of general compassion you gain. I really do think that that is absolutely universal. All right, let's end with one more thought that she puts into this. This is not how she exactly how she ends the article, but it's right before how she ends. She writes, travel is fun, so it's not mysterious that we like it. What is mysterious is why we imbue it with a vast significance, an aura of virtue. If a vacation is merely the pursuit of unchanging change, an embrace of nothing, why insist on its meaning? Skipping ahead a little bit, she says, Imagine how your life would look if you discovered that you would never again travel. If you aren't planning a major life change, the prospect looms terrifyingly as more and more of this, and then I die. Travel splits this expanse of time into the chunk that happens before the trip and the chunk that happens afterwards, obscuring from view the certainty of annihilation, which, woo, that's a uh, grim. <laughs> the word annihilation just makes you think, wow, okay. Um, but still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, but I mean, that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of people think about vacations and trips is like, well, yeah, what happens if you have made most of your life major life decisions? Is it required that you travel to break up, as she's seeming to indicate here, the monotony of day to day life if you don't have any big 
life decisions to make. I mean, I've never thought of it that way, quite frankly. I do think in general, travel is nice to break up monotony, whether you have life decisions ahead of you or not. Don't mm -hmm. you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you can be perfectly satisfied with your life at home and still want to be moving on the road. Like you might not want to be flying. You might want to be just driving two towns over on the weekend to see what's happening over there. <laughs> you know, I, I also don't think travel has to be huge and grand, but I think it is what what does it symbolize i guess is the uh the desire to see new things maybe at its very root and i don't think that mm -hmm. you have to have a desire to get on a plane to want to see new things but hmm i mean i bet uh, some people listening would know this i mean we've heard from several several of our listeners that say you know my time in life for travel is probably about done I think you do get to a point in life where you're like kind of cool with not going anywhere else anymore. But I don't think that means that it it, it was val valuable before. You know, I think that you can be done and not want to go see new things anymore and be grateful that you got to see all those new things. Exactly. Exactly. I want to maybe end, if you're ready to end, yeah. with um, a comment by one of our listeners, Linda, mm -hmm. who I've met actually in Rome. I, I put out there when I posted that, travel quote by Anais Nin, I said, you know, why do you travel in the caption? And she said to challenge myself in unknown and unexpected situations to see art. She is an artist, by the way, mm -hmm. to see new things, to experience another culture, to eat the food, to practice the languages. Number one, to encounter inspiration for my own art practice. Mm. Yeah. Right. Looking, I think that's all pretty pretty valuable. <laughs> yeah, looking for the things that will inspire and make you enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of the takeaway that both of us thought in reading this article, whether or not we agreed with some of the things she was saying, was that maybe the takeaway is, you know, if you are going on a trip, make it more of what, what you want it to be. You know, we're in such a time where it's easy mm -hmm. to find lists of the best places to go. I mean, I'm right in the midst of reading the... As you know, if you listen to our New Year's resolution show, I'm in the midst of reading the best books of 2023 as decided by the New York Times. You know, there are endless lists that will tell us what, what it is that we need to do. But I, I mean, hearing those, hearing the inner voice that says like, yeah, this thing on the list, that doesn't really appeal to me, maybe is more worth thinking about as you go to places. For sure. My takeaway, my final takeaway from this article is to the writer, you need to get around more. <laughs> you need to not travel more, maybe, but you need to. No, but for real, like you don't, I don't think you hang out with the right people because I just feel like the people who, people in my life, a lot of the people in my life and the, our listeners who we hear from regularly and who give us such incredible insight, they're not sitting there checking off a travel list and going home feeling like they needed to be, have their life changed and it's not and they're exactly the same. So I just mm -hmm. feel like, I mean, maybe she just doesn't know the right people. <laughs> yeah, or it's like about a natural sense of curiosity versus not. I mean, we didn't really get into like the aspect of how people, the travelers change the places they go to. And I think that that's a bigger, another point she's making that we should probably delve into at some point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, I mean, true, I guess I true. would. I yeah, would, we could do another episode on that. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do think like the one other thing which you said a thousand times is, you know, and we saw this in Rome when we were there on our Rome trip last year, is people who are doing experiences to take a picture for social media. 
And I would at least like to encourage that if you are going to go take pictures in certain iconic places for social media, I mean, if you want to do that, great. But at least take the time to look at the thing you're taking the picture of after you take the photo. Because <laughs> that, mm. that is the other thing. Yes. <laughs> You know, checking a painting off your list of you standing in front of it and then moving on is, um, you know, really, if you're going to do that, I, I, I hope that we get to a place where people actually experience the thing also. And I know some people do and I know some people don't, but <laughs> that's my plug for doing more than just taking a photo and then walking off to the next space. I second that. All right. Well, speaking of Tiffany being an amazing tour guide, we are going to Rome, I think, everyone and I'm going to speak for them here I think everyone who went on Rome trip 2023 our very first maiden voyage of traveling to Rome with listeners of this show I think all of them would say that Tiffany was able to get them engaged and interested in things that they maybe knew nothing about prior to going to Rome and we were talking about art I mean I know the Caravaggio day we did a in-depth day on the works of in the life of Caravaggio and that particular day got rave reviews even from people who you know don't even care about that kind of art you know we had a uh, one person with us who prefers modern art and Caravaggio is definitely not modern art and yet I still hope and think from what the feedback we got that she found value in that tour and we're going to be doing it again this October I mean the one thing she another thing she doesn't say in this article that's you know pretty negative tour travel is that having a place that you know you're going far out on the calendar can have this kind of you know it's like as a kid anticipating say Christmas morning or something like that it's something that's sitting out there that you can look forward to as you're going through everything else and I think there's also a great value in that and we are going again with listeners to Rome in 2024 early October we can send you all the details if you're interested and we will exposed you to all kinds of things in the city of Rome and you can come along with us we have five rooms available left so just if you're interested send us an email bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com and we can send you all of the details and maybe you want to go on a tour of Rome but go on a tour that's very different from what you would see on any best of list that you might encounter when planning a trip to Italy. Yeah, there's lots of places we go that you're not going to find, at least not easily. No, not on any list. <laughs> and we went to plenty of places where there mm -hmm. were amazing marvels to see and absolutely no other tourists there. And that's an amazing experience. Yes, send us an email, bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you so much to Agnes Collard for her article, The Case Against Travel. Uh, for those of you who want to read it, we can put a link in the show notes. We can also, um, you can also look for it in the New Yorker magazine. And we'll leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. And just one more thought from Halinka in Rome. You know, I can't remember how and when I discovered The Bittersweet Life. It must have been through a social media post or maybe somebody I know forwarded me a link. But I do remember how glad I was to have found it, and I went back and I listened to all the episodes. I loved hearing about Katie and Tiffany's adventures as new expats, similar to the things I went through when I came to Italy 37 years ago. And I also loved hearing about Tiffany going native, becoming a new Italian citizen, as I did two years ago 
better late than never. I love the variety of the episodes. There's a topic for every mood. I'll often skip over something and come back to listen later. I really like Katie's interviews with authors and have found several books to add to my list of things to read, and I enjoy Tiffany's descriptions of hidden Roman treasures, things that are new to me even after all these years. Keep up the good work, Katie and Tiffany. And thank you both for giving me the opportunity to speak about the volunteer work that I do with Vote From Abroad. This is a special message for all U.S. citizens living, traveling, and studying overseas. Elections are coming up this year in November, and you have the right to vote from outside of the United States, but you have to request your overseas ballot. It's different from a normal absentee ballot and has special federal protections built in, but you have to request it every election cycle. Go to votefromabroad.org, enter your voting state, follow the instructions, and fill in the form. You use the last address you had in the States. For longtime expats, that might even be the hospital where you were born. If you need help, there's a help desk option, and there's one-on-one online help available via Zoom. Just do it. Voting is your right and your duty. Go to votefromabroad.org, and thank you. <laughs>